This is Toto Radio, episode 140 for February 9th, 2015. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every, well, just about every single week, Sands, Train, and Snow. It's our host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Chris, I, I want to personally apologize for <laughs> NJ Transit's massive incompetence. Yeah. Now, is this your governor again? Is this? I know you guys have problems with this kind of stuff. Hey, no, no, no. He was in Texas, right? So he had nothing to do. Oh. Oh. Right. Yeah, that uh, was. No, it, so last week, you literally got stuck on a train. I mean, what are we gonna I do about that? I was literally on the train. Yeah. Well, there's nothing we can do about. You know, and actually, uh, a yeoman's job to the mumble room, right? They assembled like the Avengers. Uh, like we're like, hold on! There is a horrible monster loose, known as we might not have a show, and it is now destroying the city, known as Jupiter Broadcasting, and we must now save the city. And like, like, like the A team meets the Avengers meets the X Men. Mike, it was it was amazing. They assembled. Uh, they got on Mumble within matter of minutes, and we had ourselves a nice, totally unprepared, unscripted, uh, off the cuff chat. I, I... I heard it the following day, and, and then I was cringing. I, I really wish I had you know, been able to dial in and just yell at you. <laughs> really, just rage out on the yeah. middle of the train. Though, yeah. I probably would have gotten tased by the friendly conductor. <laughs> now, what were we talking about in the pre-show just before we started the show? And you were about to lay into me on something, and I, uh, I was oh, yeah, telling you how the, it is. Just those little Linux kids, you know, they, they need to realize that this is the I'm, year I'm of sorry, the kids? open BSD desktop. Uh, desktop. Uh, oh, oh the, open, the open BSD desktop. The right, open you know, BSD, like, uh, you know, Unix for, for grown men. Not right? free BSD. No, f- freedom is for losers. Uh-huh. So uh, you, you realize that uh, free BSD is about, um, oh, I don't know, a decade away from making it as the, as the ultimate desktops and open BSD. Uh, well, it's actually, it's much closer uh, than free BSD in a totally different reality, like in a totally different plane of existence. Is this like the one where like Bizarro is the good guy yeah. and Superman's yeah. like drowning right. babies? That in reality? that world, in that world, in that universe, oh, way, way over there, far away from where we're at right now, in that universe, OpenBSD is close to ready being for the ultimate desktop. However, unfortunately, here in the real world where we all live, it will never be the ultimate desktop. Right, because we're all running BSD in the form of Mac OS, which is the real, of course, desktop. Oh, oh you see how I slipped that in there? Oh, oh. It's negative in the freedom dimension I, I sucked you in you gosh it's like i handed it to you yeah you really did I, 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 although i did hear the last week's code of radio and i have to say uh windows 10 there chris huh, on the raspberry pi yeah yeah uh i think it's a non-starter i think it's uh i think it's a, a limp noodle as they say uh well, they but, have pills for that now chris yeah, you know but... it, it sure does it sure does good when uh, the press are writing about what a uh what a um a visionary Sache is. It sure works real good in that narrative. So that's he's nice. really good at like, and like going on stage and announcing all the things Balmer did. Yeah, he's great at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, oh, now look who's exactly where my head's at. You see what I'm talking about? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, okay. 
I shouldn't I shouldn't talk too much crap because I think it is kind of legit to have Windows 10 on the Raspberry Pi. I think there is legitimate uses for that. I cannot think of a single one of them. That's primarily because I'm just totally, totally ignorant to the amount of ARM software that you'd want to run on a Windows device that is the power of a Raspberry Pi. I'm well, familiar so, more with like the, the ARM software that's maybe on the more RT side, which, right. if I recall, is pathetic. Uh, but when I'm thinking of the Raspberry Pi, that's a much smaller scale. In fact, I'm not even convinced this version of Windows 10 will have yeah, a GUI. Yeah, I, have, I have written Windows RT software, and I can tell you that it's the best platform to have a contract on. Because no one's going to download it, and there's going to be no support. Oh crap! Oh, oh, crap. oh. So no support costs. What you're saying? Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, very nice. That's a hey pro tip for all you uh, uh, independent developers out there. It's uh, Mike's pro tip today. Uh, yeah, I look at this and I think to myself, uh, it's good for what I think something the mumble room mentioned. It's going to be good for education. It's going to be good for that kind of stuff. Well, uh, good for education. Yeah, yeah. That's where we send all our shitty computers. Isn't a real it? handful. Yeah, you know, just the real junk stuff. Um, yeah. It'll be it'll be probably good at like uh, retirement homes. Although if hey, it doesn't, hey, just like the Chromebook, good for education. Uh, hmm. 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 All right. So here's the deal, right? Why would you want a Windows Raspberry Pi? I have a feeling it's because you're a Windows guy and you want an emulator box and are too cheap to spend the extra seventy dollars to buy an Ouya. Well, yeah. I mean, so and that's got to be it, right? Like, I'm, I'm, because we have a couple guys here that want a Raspberry Pi. One wants to tinker with Linux, and one I'm sure will build a giant robot. But okay, you that's know, legit. Well, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're, what, what did Elon Musk say? Summoning the demon? Right, you sure. You don't do that on Windows. Right. No, because right. you'll get a kernel panic. Right, because the demon will be, like, smacking yeah. himself in the face all yeah. day long. That's yeah. not what you want. No, and, then, and then, you know, where the, that's, you know, so you've seen the blue screen of death. You don't want to see the demon screen of death on Windows. That, whew, that's bad. It's like a pentagram, but it's drawn wrong because it's Windows. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me today? <laughs> Uh, it also eats all your files. <laughs> oh, and the and the line endings are all screwed up. So when you open it on a different system, it's going to be like. Uh, it's going to be a great great feedback for the show. Yeah, I can yeah. tell, I feel it. Already. Uh, all right, so uh, let's okay focus. Uh, so I, do you, okay, so do you think these guys in in your shop would want a Windows version, or would they be running Linux on it? Um, well, let me put it this way: I don't think there is currently a running Windows machine in the shop. Well, okay, so here we go. And this is what I was suspecting. And Azer in the uh, chat room, uh, longtime listener of the show, says that the Windows 10 version of the Raspberry Pi 2 doesn't actually run a proper desktop. So it, there's right. no GUI on this thing, let's say. Right. So it, it, it's that win- – uh, they had a name for it. It's the Windows for Internet of Things devices. Yes, right. Yep. You, you can ask Paul Thorat about it. He's very excited. But self-delusion is always tempting. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Chris, stop me. I'm sorry. You know, you know what? Sometimes what I have – you know what I'll have here in case you get out of control? I'll just, Inappropriate? I'll just bust that out. Uh, I, so actually, I guess let's let's talk about Windows 10 briefly, right? The unified um, app thing, the universal app thing that they're pushing for, and have kind of been doing since 8.1, yeah. is really interesting for, for development. It's unfortunate that no one's going to pay you to do that work. Right, and, and I think too, uh, boy, there's, there's, oh boy, let's, hold on, save that thought. We got to come at it from that angle, because I think that's probably the most devastating angle. But I want to back up just, I got I to gotta go back on my, my typical whipping boy, and I apologize to longtime listeners, but... Uh, yeah, I, you say we've been hearing this since Windows 8.1. I swear to God, I've been hearing this since before. Oh, Silverlight. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, yeah thank yeah, yeah. you. So I feel like I've been hearing this from Microsoft for so long now in different iterations. By the way, where is Silverlight now? Yeah. Well, and, and, and Metro apps that you were going to write, be able to write once and run everywhere before Windows 8 shipped was a big thing. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be a constant downer. However, I cannot help but look at these new initiatives without the perspective of history. So now, 
However, that said, I just wanted to. I just wanted to. Oh boy! Holy crap! You know what that gets? Inappropriate. That's right. And you know what else it gets? Oh wait! That's right. That's right. Let's just put this bad boy on do not disturb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. He's a jackass. <laughs> hey. <laughs> now here's okay. So here's the real key thing. Like you know, people like to talk about your big, uh, your big VC backed uh, development companies that are writing the next big Android or iOS app, uh, and people like to talk about obviously big enterprise companies that are writing software for huge enterprise platforms. But really, the, 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 the much larger number is the smaller developers they are going to get hired to write software for a platform. That, in total volume, is going to be way more than these ones you hear about on the fringe, the ones we always end up talking about. And, and when I think about it from that angle, you're right, Mike. What, why would a customer – like, try to think this through. Why would a customer – what would be the advantage if I'm uh, – uh, I don't know the right kind of customer. Let's say, I'm a, I, let's say I have an online store and I want to kind of make an app that is – for people to be able to browse things and maybe buy shoes and things like that. Like it's a goods item. And I came to you and I said, hi, I have the store. And we sell a few items like shoes, uh, cologne, um, underwear. And uh, we think we'd like to have an app available so people can browse mobily, something that they could sort right. of like window shopping mobile. Uh, and I, I would I'd surely want to target windows. But here's my question. If I'm this theoretical person and I come to you and I have this question, why are you not just going to say, well, then build a great website? Like in well, what scenario? So the problem is, is when you say people are window shopping, right? Are they, you know, I could see the case of oh, and we're just having these little, little like tablet kiosks in our store, and we got a deal on these Surface RT tablets, right? Um, which don't exist anymore, by the way. Okay, yeah. But but if you're if you want to put something on a application store, right? Not to use the trademarked app store, you're probably doing that on iOS or Android or iOS if it's in the case of a tablet, right? So, so I well, let me tell you what I've seen because actually this argument exists in the Android tablet space too. No one comes and asks for Android tablet software unless they're using it internally. Hmm. But in that case, they got some weird sweetheart deal on buying a bunch of you know right, and they got everybody this a, one model. It's like super old, eight gigabytes right. of storage. We, we, had, we, have, <laughs> we had one guy who bought like these really bad Acer tablets. Yeah, like a stack of them. <clears> I had a I had company. a uh, I had a client that was a restaurant chain at the time. They were my client. They had three restaurants here in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, so the first thing they did is they went through and bought a whole bunch of. They weren't uh, Kindle Fires, but they oh. were from the same company that made the Kindle Fire. Uh, ah yes, <laughs> right. And I think BlackBerry had one of those too for a little while. The very first Kindle Fire, there was a BlackBerry Fire, or there was a BlackBerry tablet that was just like it. Right. I don't know if you remember that. So this, my client, bought, you know, like, I think it was like two hundred of these things for all of the restaurants. They wanted one at every single table, plus one for the waiters and uh, one in the kitchen, and a few spares. Well. So it was the same thing. It was uh, eight gigabytes of storage. It was Android two dot two. This was this was a little while ago, um, but you know, just all really ancient stuff. And uh, then I left. And uh, when I went back to the restaurant after a couple of years, I think so. This was just semi recently. I went back to the restaurant, and iPads now at the tables iPad 2s, as a matter of fact. So I looked and I, they kind of made the same mistake all over again. We we had one customer who who was running like the the first. Intel Atom Dell tablet for Android. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was a magical pony to work with, oh, let me boy. tell you. Oh, boy. They have a bunch of those? Uh, well, they're no longer using them. Yeah, yeah. Because Dell just was like, yeah, we don't support that anymore. Go buy a new one. So I guess the scenario and where I see universal apps, here's what I – I like the Microsoft strategy. 
what I what I'm missing is what is the anchor point in the Microsoft strategy that makes me sort of take advantage of this entire suite ecosystem of everything from Visual Studio, Azure, and Universal applications. That's not what you're missing. What you're missing is where are the users? Well, exactly. Like, is it the Xbox? No. What do you mean? Wait, you want to write a well, universal app? Let's just right? like let's just be crazy. Let's just be crazy, crazy, and say like I'm going to write a universal app, and it runs across all of the Microsoft platforms. And we're like maybe we're this is a decade from now. I don't know. Just we just just go with it, okay? Where I want to write an application for all the Microsoft platform devices that run universal apps. And at this point in time, in my crazy ass vision, that means you, Mike Dominic, could write a universal app, and there would be an app store on the Xbox that somebody could run it on. There'd be those hollow lenses. Somebody could run it on. There's the Windows tablets. Somebody could run it on. There's the Windows phone and the desktop. Now, to me, if that was a reality, out of all of the things I just said, the Windows phone, the hollow lens, the desktop, the one I would be the most interested in targeting would be the Xbox. That would seem to be the one that you're going to have the best uh, success on the App Store. You're going to have the most concentrated users with the least deviation of platform differentiations for you have to target. So it's going to be the easiest hardware to deploy on. It seems to me like where the biggest users would be, they already have their credit cards loaded up and ready to go in the Microsoft ecosystem. And the thing is, out of all of this, that's the one thing they're not going to open up. I mean, I don't know that I'd agree with you that it's the desktop. I would say probably the most attractive one is going to be the, uh, the Windows. I mean, I'm sorry, the Xbox, the desktop. That's what I'm right? saying. The X- no, it's the Xbox is the most attractive. The desktop? The desktop? No. Why? How can you say that after years now of Windows 8 and, 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 and not once, not once has anyone looked at the Windows marketplace and gone, that's a great app store. Great well, app okay. store. So the problem is if you're targeting Windows, like Wintel software, right, Windows desktop software, your customer, you're, you're not making your money on development contracts. You're making it on, we'll sell you a development contract. Oh, and here's a five-year support contract. Right, it's a totally different right. sort of model. Yeah, that's there. where you make. Yeah, I'm talking. I, yeah, you're right. That's that's the reality. That's how you, that's the practical way to make money on the Windows platform. I'm saying if you really want to bring in a lot of independent developers, sort of oh, the way oh, like selling apps like indie style. Well, I, the only reason I go to that, and I, this might be a dumb reason. But Apple was the most profitable company in history last quarter. They seem to have figured out a pretty freaking good way to sell devices. It seems to work okay for them. So maybe if you look at what they did to make a whole freaking bunch of money, literally historical amounts of money, literally historical amounts of money, what did they do? What are they doing? Maybe you look at that and you go, how could Microsoft do that but do it way better than Microsoft way, way better, less asshole like Apple? Like Microsoft has all the pieces and I think if they opened up that Xbox and you could run stuff like, you know, Twitch could make a great app they just their own customer like all this everybody could have their own stuff like twitch probably has one but like, what are you talking about right apple makes it on margins they, they make it margins on the hardware that they're selling because they have great apps for the iphone people are, are buying the iphone in large part because it has you, the best apps people right, would you, buy same thing, for the xbox. same thing but it's the same thing for the xbox people love the games on the xbox so they buy the xbox if microsoft allowed guys like you to target the xbox with these universal applications i think that put some real stink behind it i think without that it's kind of a non-starter i don't know i i, I think why would you care right I, i'm just thinking okay so so what is the revenue model? What am I going to make a game on the Xbox? I, I, all the other apps, in quotes, are, are free on the Xbox. They're uh, media consumption. You know what? You know what? That, that question has been answered by the Fire TV and the Roku. They have successful app stores. They have apps that are written just for those devices. The Roku has hundreds of apps. Some of them are real crap, but some of them are really great. The Fire TV has a much limited selection, but they're great apps, too. 
And, and remember, I, if, you, but, if but are people like making money, like can you be a Fire TV shop or a Roku shop? There are a few people so. that make money off of the Roku. Yeah. And here's why. Here's I'm not, and here's what I'm saying though. These are universal apps, so it's, you're not just targeting the Xbox. But what I'm trying to what I'm trying to de- illustrate is in in my in my little scenario here, I don't see these universal apps working really well unless you have one universal like anchor that makes the whole pla- the whole ecosystem valuable. There's no anchor to the Microsoft ecosystem that makes it. Value. You say it's the desktop. I say it's only the desktop for business uh, contracts. Outside of they, that, right? They have an anchor though, but it actually slides right into my topic. Their anchor is Sue Sharp. It's not an anchor in terms of a platform. It's uh, an anchor in terms of a tool. Ooh, that's genius. All right, hold your thought right there. I'll mention our first sponsor, and then we'll get into that. That is that's a little bit of brilliance. So our first sponsor, also a little bit of brilliance, that's DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com and go set up your own infrastructure. There's a lot of ways you can do that over DigitalOcean, from building your own system to using one of their one-click deployment systems. It's amazing. If you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, let me tell you a little bit about them. They're a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server that you're going to get root access to. But here's the, I mean, like for me at least, because I'm a busy guy and honestly, if stuff takes too long, I'll put it off. So I've recognized that about myself and this is why this works great for me at DigitalOcean. I can get started in less than 55 seconds. I got a tweet on Thursday, 26 seconds spin up time for a server at DigitalOcean, 26 seconds. And pricing plans start only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU and a terabyte, a freaking terabyte of transfer. You get a terabyte of transfer, all of that. For $5. Now, to me, that's a big deal because I, I pay for CDNs and stuff, and I just, I'm just i blown away. Sometimes I think maybe I'll just have like a dozen DigitalOcean machines. And why not? Because they got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. So you get that geodiversity. I'll just build it out. I probably could, too, because that interface is so simple and so straightforward that it makes getting anything done, like snapshotting and replicating a machine, crazy easy. Uh, and I suppose if I was really going to get down to it, I'd probably talk to somebody in the community to take advantage of DigitalOcean's incredible API that allows me to replicate the functionality of DigitalOcean's great dashboard, but maybe I could script it. Or maybe I want to plug it into my infrastructure management system like Puppet. They've got all of that, right? You should go check out – Go so go to DigitalOcean.com. Here's a couple of things you should do and just to kind of see what I've been talking about. Go to DigitalOcean. Use our promo code. It's Coder Digital. That's one word in lowercase. Coder Digital. It's getting a, it's ten dollar credit, and it's a five dollar machine, so you can try it out for a couple months. And you don't even need a credit card. But go over there, and check out their community section, and just look at some of the apps that have already been built. You don't even have to do the work. And I mean, this is just. And plus, it's also kind of inspiring. And there's also like starting points. So if you go over here and say View Projects, this is where you go on the DigitalOcean website. And also check out all those great tutorials right there. Uh, here's a Juju DigitalOcean provider. If you if you use the Juju management system, I mean, this is like it makes deploying a DigitalOcean droplet like just dragging a charm onto your dashboard on, in Juju, and now you've got a new droplet. Uh, that's really cool. Swimmer, a full-featured open-source Android client for DigitalOcean. That's one of my favorite ones. Basin, you can manage your DigitalOcean droplets with Basin. Basin is a f- one of the one of the best. Uh, Android clients for DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean's Toolbox, it's a browser extension for Chrome and Firefox that allow you to manage all of your droplets. Isn't that neat? You can just like check right from your browser like the status of your droplets is pretty cool. There's a lot of really cool things you can just go grab right now. There's the Vagrant plugin. Isn't that awesome? Drizzle. Mongo Director. Very handy. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Coder Digital when you check out. Go build your own rig. Go deploy GitLab. They've got one-click deployments for that. You don't have to be a server admin to figure it out. They've also got CoreOS, one of the coolest distributions up and coming. You can go check it out at DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Coder Digital when you check out. Thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring this Coder Radio program. 
Hi, Mr. Dominic. So I'm intrigued. So uh, you think that maybe uh, with their recent moves of open sourcing some of uh, the uh, the .NET stuff, maybe they're building some sort of anchor point that is not necessarily a feature or a gadget, but something much bigger in a sense, I suppose. So, yeah. So, one, for the folks who, who are worried that Chris and I love Microsoft, this is going to be a fairly negative review. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you saw, earlier in the week, I posted a, a revisit of my Xamarin review. I did see that. Xamarin yeah. Forms. Uh, if I go uh, troll your Twitter feed, I'll probably find that, huh? I put it in the show notes, too. Oh, okay. So, okay. For those who don't know, right, Xamarin lets you use C Sharp and .NET to write iOS and Android apps. Yes, you can write Windows Phone apps, but let's be honest. <laughs> Um, it's had some problems. Uh, first off, this is going to be difficult, but C Sharp is a great language, right? Well, let's, let's stick with the Microsoft thing first before I go into this, because this is a bigger topic. Okay. All right, Microsoft has some great assets. Visual Studio, C Sharp, hands down. The problem is what you're going to want isn't something you really shouldn't have, right? It's like the people who used to write all those real basic applications. You want to write something once with no modifications and run it on multiple platforms and have it somehow not suck. The dream. So in my mind, Microsoft could quickly become the developer tool, basically de facto developer tool for mobile, desktop, and everything if they somehow solve this what I would believe at this point is a non-solvable problem, right? Insolvable. Um, for those who don't know, C Sharp is like Java, but better <laughs> in a lot of weird ways, right? Like it, that's it's funny. Just you know, it's funny because you say that now, and I think it's more accepting. People used to really bristle when you used to say that. Well, it, it's Java. It's like if somebody came back and said, "Let's redo Java years later," right? With all the hindsight, yeah, right, yeah, of, yeah. of, of seeing what went wrong, <clears throat> yeah. Um, Getting a little Jersey flavor uh, coming through there. I know. New Jersey is a lot like a war zone right now, apparently. <laughs> if you hear an airstrike, it's okay. It's just, you know, Christy closing a bridge. So Token Ring says it's uh, C-sharp is hippie Java. <laughs> well, I, don't, I wouldn't know how it would be hippie, but I guess it's open source now. That's true. There you go. That officially makes it qualified. Yeah, so let's just and, – and there are – Lots of other solutions. Alex was mentioning React. But let's just stick with the Xamarin Microsoft thing for now. All right. So, Chris, you're, you know, you're a developer in a way. I mean, you use Linux, so it doesn't count. But you know what I mean. You want to do a project with a low budget for two platforms, right? Okay. So doing it natively in both platforms is probably out of the question right off the bat, right? Hmm. Yeah, I guess so, huh? Unless, uh, unless, yeah, if I'm only going to write it once, I suppose so. Right. So the idea of, you know, Xamarin is a, is a great tool, right? The problem is, where do you think most of your issues are going to come on any project that has a front end? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. You're always going to spend your time tweaking that or uh, ironing right. out the differences, especially once you move them and you fire it up and realize, oh, there's these things that need to change. I could see that being especially difficult depending on how different the platforms are. Right. So Xamarin Classic, let's call it, right, the original Xamarin, was you would share your, your data layer, your API interaction layer, and your views and, uh, to some extent, your controllers if you're doing MVC. Or you could do MVVM, but same thing, right, your, your views would be... Um, Separate, so you'd have not native, but separate, right? There, there are Xamarin extensions to 
um, the iOS uh, UI kit classes and to the Android, whatever you want to call them. Yeah, okay, I follow. That breaks down real quick when you realize that, one, unfortunately, Xamarin stuff's a lot more buggy in Android than it is in iOS. Oh. Because, which makes sense because iOS was around far longer. Two, you don't have the... Um, you lose a lot of the advantages of having to write things twice, right? Because your client's always going to nitpick the UI, and that means you have to do it twice. And a lot of little fancier UI stuff can be challenging in this non-native platform. Everything goes double on Android, particularly performance issues. So they have this other toolkit called Xamarin.Forms or Xamarin Forms. Xamarin Forms looks beautiful. I love everything about it. <laughs> I love you, baby. I love Everything about the marketing site, the little demo you can download. Oh, yeah. They're doing a nice job, huh? It's great until you do something non-trivial. Uh-oh. Then you get into all kinds of issues. Edge there. case? Edge case here? Edge case there? Well, that kind really of thing? It's not really edge case. Or, okay. right? like one of the issues was you have a list view on, on the Android side with images in it. So basically a table view, right? And the class is called list view, but it's basically a table you're scrolling. And it would run out of memory only on Android. Ah. Now, what you're showing on the screen is not from Xamarin. That's also very confusing. Xamarin form, forms the Oh, that's not. Oh, okay. No, that adds all the stuff that should, should have been included in Xamarin.forms before uh, they released it. For instance, having a button with an image. Right. Right. Nice Somehow enough. that got past their internal testing. <laughs> you, they felt that that wasn't super necessary. Now, we had, I had tried to reach out to Xamarin. We'd talked for months about some of the issues um, and it was interesting how the marketing has kind of changed. You know, initially, Xamarin Forms is in beta, so fair enough. Then it was, oh, cross-platform views for your apps. Then it quickly became prototyping. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, now I think they're back to calling cross-platform views, but I mean, there are breaking changes between versions. And I, I will give them tons of credit. A lot of stuff works. But the problem is that you really can't do anything non-trivial without importing some sort of third-party, either paid component from Telerik, right? Or, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I know there's another company, and I wish I could be fair and name it, but I forgot the name. Or Xamarin Forms Labs, which you just showed on GitHub. Yeah. Which also has weird compatibility issues with specific versions of Xamarin Forms on specific platforms, i.e. Android. You can see where this, this starts to get messy. And frustrating. Right. Now, one of my beefs with this is you're, you're showing some sample code on the screen. It is super easy to get really far in a project with Xamarin.Forms. That's nice. Until you need to get that last yeah. 10%. And then you get stuck. And then it just falls to shit. Right? It just falls apart. Like, the bugs are, are as silly as, oh, performance on list views with images was super broken on Android, and then they updated it and fixed it but you had to deal with the customer support for the time that it wasn't. Um, to, hey, right now on Lollipop, if you push a view, it will crash sometimes, and it's a known issue that's filed in their issue tractor. And then you start drinking. And you notice the, the, the theme with these issues, right? Are, are, you, are you picking up on a theme here yet? Android? Android. Yeah. This, this is how... I got a little confused by forms because I tested on iOS and I have to say it is beautiful. If you are not an Objective C kind of guy, it's fantastic. Hmm. But the stability, 
the polish, everything on Android. For Xam- Remember, I'm talking about Xamarin Forms here, right? Xamarin Classic is actually a decent tool. If you don't mind writing your views twice and are willing to somehow... Um, you know, deal with that, then Xamarin Forms is, uh, I mean, Xamarin Classic is going to do it. Hmm. All right. So uh, now this is the state of sort of easy cross-development today. Do you think Microsoft is going to help this at all? You think maybe they'll buy these guys? Maybe they'll buy Xamarin. So that's what needs to happen, right? Because the issues that they're facing are are issues of money, right? You get the feeling, even when you talk to their support, and they're all very nice people. I don't mean to to tack them too much, but Android's definitely a second-class citizen over there. Um, You know, just go into, I mean, this is all public. Go into the Bugzilla, look at the issue tracker, look how many more Android issues there are. You know, Mike, I mean, here's the thing, and and I'm I'm trying to bite my tongue about this. Sometimes really ambitious projects need a really ambitious leader. And a lot of times those ambitious leaders that are uh, sort of, you know, kind of making the impossible happen um, are flawed human beings. They are not – I don't know I don't know a nice way to say this. And I'm, I, I don't know how involved – I just – to me it sounds very much like Miguel Edicaza. He gets excited about one thing and that's what he's able to focus on, but he knows that the market dynamics require that he does other things. Uh, he's a Mac guy. He loves it. He loves the Mac. He loves iOS. Those are his hobbies. Those are his passions. That's where his energy is focused. And I think it comes across through his company culture and into the product. When they have to prioritize, and every single company does, right, they could just choose not to support as many things and just do the fewer things they do well. But instead, what they decide to do is claim all of the things and then make sure they work well on iOS and then make sure they get them working on Android over time. And who even knows what the state is on Windows Mobile? Well, the, the problem with that is if you have, you know, deadlines to clients and you have this broken component, i.e. the platform you're developing on, and you've made commitments, guess what you end up doing? Rewriting it natively at your cost. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? So that's a recipe for Chapter 11. I mean, that's, that's just not something you can sustain. Um, and usually I try not to be super negative on, you know, relatively small to medium companies. I usually only attack the big guys. But I, I feel it's important to warn other people because I know, you know, Alex Bell in the chat room is kind of being a little bit of a prick, right? He's saying, don't trust your development to consultants because they don't care about your product. Fine. Oh, You're abs- you know, come on. That's not really true. But you know what? There are things called line of business apps that don't need to be flashy, right? Your, your HR in- inventory system, your accounts receivable system does not need to be flashy. No, in fact, I thought it was law that they're not flashy. Just right. <laughs> so you know, to be fair, there is a there's definitely a place where this kind of tool needs to exist. Uh, the problem is, it needs to actually be honest with you and say, "Oh yeah, we can do all this stuff, but you're going to have to import all these third party libraries." Oh, and we didn't. We're not really staffed enough to keep up with the OS updates. So if one of your customers happens to pop out a lollipop phone, it's going to crash as soon as you try to push a view. Oh, sorry. Oh. You know, it's not great, right? Oh, there's an existing memory Im- Im- uh, issue with images and MVVM on list views. Oh, we're sorry, but here's this crazy workaround. Even if the workaround works, right? You know, what this, is- you know what this sounds like? This sounds like how a lot of vendors support desktop Linux apps. Like they make the port, right? Honestly, this reminds me of Real Basic. Like, or, or dare, I, dare I impugn myself? 
used to do Java applet work, right? This is the same kind of, hey, man, it works 80% of the time. Right. Right. But the reality, and I'm, I'm trying to warn um, people like me, is that if you're, you know, if you have clients, they're not going to pay you, right? They're, if it doesn't work on all their devices, that's bad. So what do you do? And what does this mean for the bigger picture of, you know, third-party tools, Xamarin, Microsoft? And this whole universal apps in the ecosystem. Right. So pause there. It, collect it your thoughts. A, go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just, you, you can finish your thought, but then collect them and I'll, I'll do a plug. No, go ahead. Oh, oh, you're giving me the go. Well, then you know what I'll do is I'll tell you about my great folks, my great friends, my great advisors over at Linux Academy. Why do I call them my advisors? Because as I mentioned last week, that was kind of what gave me the breakthrough. Uh, to be able to go ahead and focus on Ruby was like, uh, you know what, Linux Academy has put it all into perspective for me. Right here, it's going to take me this long. I'm going to follow these steps. So here's what I want you to do. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get the Coder Radio discount. linuxacademy.com slash coders. You go there, that kind of shows that, hey, you know what, I appreciate you supporting the Coder Radio program. And I think that's something that our audience can do as a way to help the show continue on, help make us successful, but really to sort of validate to our advertisers, too, that they've made the right pick in investing in Jupiter Broadcasting, right? Because what they are hoping, they're hoping that the audience that listens to Coder Radio and maybe the Jupiter Broadcasting audience in general is a little bit of a higher-end technical audience. They're kind of making a bet that you're sort of the best of breed out there. And they know that you will recognize the differentiator when somebody is crazy passionate about Linux and about the technologies that they teach. And it's such a difference from those general education platforms that are out there. And there are some big ones, really big ones, that make a lot of money. uh, And they charge a lot of money. But they don't have the focus and passion that Linux Academy has. And the reason why that matters is when you are spending your time and your money to learn something that's either going to make you better at your job or make you qualified for that next job or just help scratch that educational itch or maybe it's just try something out. You know that the people behind Linux Academy are genuinely enthusiastic about what they're teaching you. Linux enthusiasts, developers, educators, they've all come together to build this platform. And you can get in at a discount at linuxacademy.com slash coders. Now, I got a whole list of courseware that I just printed out that they've been adding recently. And I, I you know, I think this is something that you kind of have to understand once you've had it for a little while. Linux Academy just keeps adding more content. So your monthly subscription just keeps getting more and more valuable all of the time because you've got all of the stuff they've ever done, all the stuff they update, which they update stuff all the time, which I really respect, uh, especially one of the things that I've tracked since they've become an advertiser is how they've handled Docker. Uh, because that's sort of a technology that's really come out of nowhere since they've become an advertiser. And so I was really impressed with the way Linux Academy was, boom, out of the gate. One of the first was some, the best Docker content. And then when Docker 1.0 shipped and they, they updated the doc, they updated the Docker content on their site to make sure that you're getting the most current stuff. And what's super slick is if you want to do one of their lab deployments, well, they've got seven plus Linux distributions you can choose from. And then the courseware automatically adjusts to those distributions. And so do the virtual machines that you do the work on, which you can log in publicly from, they'll give you an IP or a DNS even, and uh, you just use SSH so you can run it from your desk. Uh, like sometimes I'll use Mosh. It's super slick, slick and fast. Like it feels like local because one of the things the Mosh client does is local echo. So when you're typing, 
you're seeing local echo type. It looks like it's super, super responsive, and then Mosh is handling all of it in the back. Anyways, I divert. It, it, it's just it, – it's I, the reason why I mention that is because I just snapped the Linux Academy workflow right into my existing workflow. You know, I've got the multi-monitor setup that I used to use for my sysadministrating. Now I'm using it when I'm doing the Linux Academy stuff, and it just totally works. And that's what I love about them is that's how everything is. I get the courseware. I get the hours. I get the estimate. I can set reminders. If I'm running tight on a week, I have the learning plans. I can go in there. I said this much time is available. I set that, and then it can even help me remind, remind me about quizzes and stuff. It's just – it's really cool to see this all come together. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. You can go check it out for yourself. Go look at their new courseware and get started. They've got brand new courses in Ruby on Linux, uh, OpenStack, uh, Android development, the entire AWS infrastructure essentially is on there. And and I got to say, uh, I, I haven't tried out some of their other scenario-based labs, but the one scenario-based lab I did get to try is the AWS one. And it's really neat because the way that their system works is, you know, it's doing those AWS instances for you in the background. You're not paying for that. They manage that as part of your subscription. And you end up working with the actual AWS technologies. Uh, and, and the reason why that's really kind of important is – that stuff's a little esoteric, right? It's its own breed of technology. And if you've never worked with it in production, uh, it can be a little intimidating. So the nice thing is you can do this in a scenario where you're deploying something. You're going to utilize these services. You're going to work with this esoteric system. You're going to get some experience with its esotericness. And, and then when you're ready to go work in production, it's not your first time. Uh, and that's extremely valuable. Linuxacademy.com slash coders. Big thanks to Linux Academy for sponsoring program. So, Mr. Dominic, how does the big picture all kind of snap together now? Okay, yeah, so and there was a lively chat going on in the chat. So I think there's, there's two realities here, right? You are one reality with two customer bases. There is certainly a market for, let's just say, well, let's call it line of business applications, right? And, you know, Xamarin's probably attractive to a lot of those people because guess what? They're Microsoft guys. Um, and frankly, some of them are still running like IE7, IE6, but let's just let that go. There's this whole other market, i.e. the App Store, right? Stuff you think about more often that it's probably not the best solution for. So what does that mean? Well, all the issues I've listed, right? What is the problem? What would solve all of those problems? Unlimited money, Right. Basically, if you had lots of money, you could just hire the best Android people around and, you know, basically fix it. Yeah, I don't know. Google's got a lot of money. Right. And to be clear, I'm not, like, I'll be honest, we're doing a lot of double native now. Like, it's not something we're we're really committed to continue. Um, But making that decision also means that there's now a whole class of, of client who we're just outpriced, right? Because you can't, you know, by supporting two platforms, double native, or even by just doing native, right, you're, you're charging more because it takes longer. Um, one of the nice things about Xamarin or any of these toolkits, even the HTML5 ones, you know, people always want to go on about Ionic or um, oh, what, what's the other big one? Oh, I can't remember. Titanium. You know, that's a trade-off too. So if, you, if you're saying no trade-offs, then you're going native. For anything, I don't mean just mobile, right? You're going whatever the na- native platform for Ubuntu is. Um, the right choice in a lot of cases for these types of line of business customers is some sort of third-party cross-platform tool. 
Now you could have the debate about well, should that all be the web? Should that all be you know titanium with um, Angular? Or should it be just a website that you pop open a web view and render? Uh, should there be no app on their phone? Should it just be a website? Hmm. The problem is a lot of people don't want that, right? You're trying. You're saying, oh, little Jimmy, you're seven. Um, you want something to eat? You should really eat this broccoli. But I want candy, right? And what I'm saying is, well, Jimmy, what if I gave you broccoli candy, right? So I'm trying to split the baby here. I think eventually what we're going to have happen is all of these line of business applications, with the exception of super weird flashy ones for like salespeople, will go either one platform if they need to look flashy, and that'll be iOS, or they'll just be websites. Now, whether they're websites that are rendered in you know, a little Java wrapper or a little Objective-C wrapper, or if they're just web apps you, you literally load from, a, you know, you have a pinned URL from, uh, from Chrome or Safari. Well, what does that do now? So now, now, we're, now we're talking again about where we were before of, okay, we still need a vendor to give us good tools on the web. Because I don't know about you guys, but uh, large-scale JavaScript applications are less than fun. Mm-hmm. So, okay, oh, I know the whole Angular crowd is going to jump down my throat. Okay. I don't think we're there yet on the web, right? I don't think the tooling's good enough. So that's why something like Xamarin would be attractive. Now, you know, Chris, do you remember when we just talked about Dart? Uh, Dart? Yeah. Okay. I... I <laughs> I'm very sympathetic to this argument that the web is going to eat everything, um, with a few exceptions where native makes more sense, right? Mm. I don't think we're there yet. No, no. I mean, because I think I – th- well, I, I, I think I would disagree with the premise. I don't think it's going to be a few things that need to be native. Um, you know, I mean, like I could take – here two examples. <clears throat> a video game. Obvious. Number two, well, games, game, but we're talking about like a line of business software here, right? Okay, all right, all right, okay. Um, uh, so you're not talking anything consumer? No, so I'm saying, I'm, you know, I'm trying to kind of give like the war story here of how we ended up at Xamarin. I mean, I could understand if it's if it's anything enterprise grade, anything that's data entry, anything that's data retrieval. Right. I, I, the stuff I'm talking about is like the bookkeeping clerk is using it. Yeah, right. Sure. Or or your sales guy in the field is just quickly typing in some well, stuff. It is becoming that already. Right. I mean, it really is. I mean, look, you got BeanBooks, you got uh, QuickBooks Online, uh, right. for, you got Salesforce, which has a massive web component. You got all of those other open source sales tracking software, which are all single, every single one of them web based. Uh, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's all web yeah. now almost. It's just what people are writing. It is what people are writing. But I, you know, how? Let's take two seconds, Google it, and see how many complaints there are about JavaScript. <laughs> how many JavaScript? You know, should oh, I go along? I, yeah, I'm JavaScript re-implemented to look like Ruby. Oh, what should I, I say? Like Java, JavaScript, uh, error what? What, what, should I, what should I look for? Error? JavaScript error? I'll do that. Error. All right, JavaScript error. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting crap about React.js in the chat room. I mean, this is the problem, though, right? Insert word, add JS to it, and you've probably got a framework. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Fix JavaScript I, error? That's a good search. I'm, fi- I'm searching for that one right now. Fix JavaScript error. All right. Hey, look, Mike. There's a video on how we can fix JavaScript errors. I wonder if this is a good video. Let's check it out. Let's see. Let's see what we get. Let's see. A few simple steps. 
At some point, most internet users run yeah. across a Java applet. And That's we'll right. Need to know how to fix JavaScript errors. Yeah. Will Tony what applet? Java is? Yeah. All right. I'm done. I think I'm having flash. Oh God, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to cause that. Oh my God. <clears throat> yeah, I know it's true. You can do anything error, and you'll get the same thing. Yeah. Duke is coming out of the trees. If I did a Ruby um, error, I would get the same thing. Yeah. So, the, but the, there is a grain of truth there, right? Because every hipster has to make their own JavaScript framework. They're they're trying to solve either a real problem or perhaps a perceived problem. I would argue that it's a real problem, right? The, the, the tooling for high end, uh, and I don't mean high end isn't pretty. I mean like functional web applications is kind of garbage if you're used to native development. Yeah. Right. And let's take it out of the because everybody's gonna say, oh, you just like interface builder. You're just a Mac guy. You want to be able to drag and drop. Fine. Take it away. Right. Let's talk about Visual Studio. Let's talk about XAML. Let's talk about um, oh, I don't know, decent error reporting. <laughs> it, Mm, it gets real tough to, to, to with a straight face. So what are you talking about? The DOM is totally mature, right? It's a great platform. Yeah, you know, we've actually gotten that email. Right. I think we're going to need someone to step in and be a vendor for a tool. Now, a vendor could be open source, right? I don't necessarily no, mean that. No, it'd have to be Google. Tool. I think it'd have to be Google. I think Google tried and stopped caring. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. I just, I, just, just for the folks who don't see the chat room. While I've been talking about this, I think we've had like four or five suggested JavaScript frameworks from people, different people in the chat room. That, that's the problem, right? Although no one's mentioned TypeScript, TypeScript yet that I saw. Come on, guys. <laughs> no, there though. hasn't been one. So I, hold on. I want, I want to pause you for a second uh, because you just nailed it. Uh, Google was all in on this big time. And then guess what? Android took off, and they had this thing called the Play Store. And all of a sudden, now Google's writing native apps like, like the best native apps on the platform. Right. I mean, that thing, honestly, I think Google is still uh, extremely, uh, you know, the web is, is a huge priority. That's why they still invest a ton into Chrome uh, and Blink and it's all the things attached to it. But I think you can't deny the fact that they do seem like they were they were prepared, like they were going to give you a state of the web update at every single Google I.O. This is now the new thing that web developers will be able to take advantage of. Here it is, the big unveiling, hitting WebKit browsers soon. And uh, that just kind of went away. They don't talk about that anymore. And, you know, discerning the chat, or just, I can't speak today. I say, is, dis- I say, uh, Dasani. Dasani, I know that's wrong, but that's okay. Uh, is rightly pointing out that, the, you know, there are things like the asynchronous neighbor JavaScript that make this all hard, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's a problem you don't need to solve, right? Because uh-huh. when you're asking people to, oh, well, you have to think in a more, you know, asynchronous way or a more event driven way. You're throwing out years of development experience. Yeah, and that's always what struck me too. I mean, you're taking a shot probably at the Node guys, but it's always it's always struck me as like uh, these always seem like great ideas, but then are you discounting everything that we've learned? Like, right? So, so you you know, how can you I'll, throw that out? How can you throw that away? You know, I'll take myself out of the equation, right? Let's go down the street. Let's go to you know, it's New Jersey, so there's a thousand pharmaceutical companies on every block. Let's grab one of their C sharp developers and say, hey man. Um, so you want to do some functional programming? He's like, hey, man, I've been doing OO for 10 years, so why don't you go bang off, right? Like, <laughs> you can't just ask people to totally upend what they're doing, especially if they're people who their business is developing solutions for customers yeah, or clients. I don't know, man, though. That's such a – I mean, I, I do agree with you, especially in the enterprise space, but that is such a, a tight line to walk, though, at the same time, because you, you can't shut down something incredible like uh, <clears throat> your buddy. Uh, good friend, uh, Marco Armit. 
I love uh, him. Yeah, he uh, he runs the uh, podcast app that you and I both like, Overcast. And uh, the Overcast system has a back-end infrastructure where uh, a bunch of uh, VPSs go out and crawl right. RSS feeds and then collectively uh, send out push notifications to all of the clients that run the app. Instead of the apps doing the uh, RSS feed crawls, he does it server-side. And then anybody on the app that has that feed gets it when the server updates. Uh, and uh, he was having to roll out like something like eight VPSs to manage this. And it was taking yes. – and he was re- – because he, he's a big, big, big advocate of PHP, I, I guess, since Tumblr or whatever. Right. And, uh, and he decided to finally sort of give in, and he rewrote that feed parsing aspect in Go and reduced his servers by half. But that, that – so that's exactly the point, right? I would advocate that as a positive thing. He wrote one component to fix a real problem he was having. Right, yes. But I think but – the, but the line of logic and reasoning that you're going down that path – leads you to also reject doing things like, I'm not going to write one part in Go. My entire infrastructure is written in PHP, and we're not just going to hodgepodge a part of our infrastructure with an entirely different language with nobody on staff that, that knows how to write that. That's not true at all. Even with Java EE, you can, you can splash some Scala in there for a more functional approach if it's appropriate for a problem you're solving. Yeah, yeah I mean... Not because, not because some vendor but or, how do you you make know, that some hipster call on the internet says you have to be a functional programmer. But with the line of thinking you're going with, though, it almost sounds like you might not ever let yourself make that call. No, you should make that call. So it's, you're right. It's a balancing act. Yeah. You, can't, you can't just say, oh, I'm not doing anything new. But the argument of, well, this is the web, so yeah, there's always problems in JavaScript. But oh well, I, you know, that's not an answer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying we need to, you know, just bringing it back to, to Coco. I'm not saying we need to build the UI kit on the web or, or you know, app kit on the web. I'm saying we need to understand or I think some of the more prominent JavaScript developers need to understand that there is going to come a time, and I could be wrong, I would love to be wrong, but the way I see it, a lot of this JavaScript stuff is technical debt waiting to kick you in the ass, hmm. right? It's that 29% credit card you got freshman year in college, and it's just sitting there waiting. And it bites you right in the middle of an important moment of the project. I mean, let's think about the rise of Node.js because I love Node so much. Mm-hmm. That is, and granted, it works for some things, but there are people who are just whole scale replacing applications with Node just because, right? You know, I'm the biggest downer on PHP. Hey, man, if your system works in PHP, don't touch it. Do your security patches, do what you need to do, but obviously don't go rewrite it in Ruby, right? Like, that would be crazy. Um, I don't know. And, and there's the whole thing of JavaScript is not yet another programming language. It's a radically different programming uh, um, paradigm, right? The prototypical inheritance. And also all these frameworks do really crazy stuff. Yeah. And they're all really, really different. So you're really not a JavaScript developer. You're a Angular developer. You're a yeah. React developer, right. supposedly. Right. You're a, oh, I mean, you're a backbone JS and Ember. I'm not saying these are bad, I'm saying that the fact that you have, you know, would it be wrong for me to say that there are 30 viable JavaScript frameworks? No. Oh, and let's not forget, if I wanted AppKit on the web, there's Cappuccino. Because, you know, the other thing you're not taking into account is there's also, like, little private ones that people have just created oh. for themselves. And those, there's just, it's uncountable oh, yeah. how many of those are. Yeah. <laughs> every, every enterprise, because they won't yes. use open source because they're crazy, yeah. has, like, what? something inc.js, right? I, I, I don't know. I 
I'm not saying that we should all sign up for TypeScript because I think that's also a bad idea. I'm just saying that someone, I, you know, I was really hopeful about Google Dart. I really thought we would have like Xamarin, we would have these other little shims to, to bridge us over the tide and that Dart was going to be the future. Dart was going to fix this problem. And it was a good balance, right? You could do your JavaScript prototypical stuff. You could do your OO stuff for the basic things you care about, right? Um, and you would get the best of both worlds. Well, that obviously fell apart. It didn't take off because Google either couldn't or wouldn't uh, push so, it. Is that what you think? Do you think we're at a point in time right now where, we, you know, like a lot of things in the technology industry, when you go back, you just see what like a slog it was to get – some consensus uh, on something like then th- th- today we look back and uh, we think it's you know ridiculous like the transition uh, from parallel ports to USB took so long it was so tedious and now like everything's USB now this is a bad example my point is do you think some this is kind of where we're at right now is there's all of these frameworks there's all of these different uh, um, ideas and brand new ways of thinking because it's all so new but over a period of time, maybe it will just be one few that are actually really used. Something like TypeScript well, stands out. So I think one, it's even worse one remains that. or one stands think, with other yeah. small uses. So the issue, the real issue that I see is that it's not just that there's too much variety. It's that people have gone so hard into these very untested frameworks. I'm not saying they're all going to fail, right? But there's going to be a lot of unmaintainable systems out there that either need to be you know, ghetto patched constantly or, you know, dare I say it, is WebKit going to be the next IE6? Like, are, well, we, are we digging I, our own grave? No, I don't think it can because it's not held by one company. I think that's the difference. See, IE, got, I, IE became IE because Microsoft left, lost any competitive motivation to make it any better, and we just stagnated with something that was awful. Uh, WebKit seems to be under heavy development still. I mean, I would love to be wrong, but I just have a feeling that, you know, if we're, if we're doing this show in four years, there's going to be one of these JavaScript frameworks that just falls apart, loses its community or oh, whatever. For, well, a few. There's going to be a right. few. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be where these companies purchase from vendors these JavaScript systems, you know, they develop in shops, things like that. And it's, it's, it's going to have a negative effect that I don't, whether you agree with me or not, any listener of the show is going to hate. And that your customers are going to get far more conservative than they are now, right? You're not going to be able to go into that meeting and pitch them on hot new technology. They're going to say, no, we approve this list of technology, and that's it. Because they will have been burned. That's deep, Mr. Dominic. I like it. That's an interesting thought, and I guess the only way we'll know is we'll just Time? find out. But it seems inevitable to me, too. Uh, is there anything I just want to remind you of Java applets, because that is just to hit hammer at home. Remember, there were lots of little shops telling everybody, rewrite it in a Java applet. It'll be fine. So is there uh, any, like, positive things you want to, you know, sort of end on? Like any, any uh, I don't know, uplifting things? Anything to plug to make people happy? Yeah. Uh, reach out to Fingertip Tech. We promise we won't write it in Node. Oh, just say no to Node? Just say no. Just one Node. <laughs> Is Nancy Reagan available and just do a little quick YouTube commercial? <laughs> uh, also, you know what? Uh, we covered a lot of stuff this episode. We'd love to get your feedback. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, choose Coda Radio from the drop down, and send us in your feedback. Also, check out that subreddit, codaradio.reddit.com. Go over there and you can submit stories for us to talk about, and also feedback and engage the community with other discussion points. There's always some good stuff over there, codaradio.reddit.com. Don't forget to join us live, jblive.tv. 
We do this show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv on a Monday. Mr. Dominic, have a great week. Good to have you back, sir. I'm glad uh, you survived the snow. I did. I came back with all the piss and vinegar you've come to love or right. hate. Probably love hate it. by the email. Ah, we'll see. I enjoy it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. Mm-hmm.